0: On today's podcast, I'm going to do something just a little bit different. I was watching recently a live stream from Grace Community Church Woodlands, their Sunday morning service, where Pastor Steve Riggle, a longtime friend, had a mutual friend of ours, Pastor Jim Garlow, sharing about prophetic things that are happening in the Scriptures and context to today. Pastor Jim Garlow was sharing points in Scripture in the context to prophetic significance to what's happening in the world and what we should be doing to prepare. And as you know, my heart is to prepare people for the coming of the Lord with a message of consecration, commitment, and action. It so intrigued me listening to the message. And then, in the middle of the message, he introduced Byron Stinson. Byron Stinson is a team lead for Bonet Israel. Throughout scripture and throughout history, you've probably heard about the importance of the red heifer. Many of us have heard about it. We've heard about the importance of the red heifer in biblical history, as well as the future of Israel. And yet it is a reality today. Byron Stinson and his team have literally taken five red heifers that have been checked out by rabbis, have been checked out by experts, and now those red heifers are in Israel. The message by Jim Garlow and Byron Stinson was so intriguing to me, so enlightening to me that I literally texted Pastor Steve Riggle and said, Pastor Steve, can I have permission to use portions of this message for my podcast? And then I ran into Pastor Jim Garlow at the National Religious Broadcasters and got his permission. He said, absolutely. And then I was introduced over a lunch meeting, To meet with byron stinson the team lead for Bonet israel and the one who's taken these red heifers from texas to israel and so there's a texas israel connection so on today's a word in season with doug stringer and friends listen to this message by pastor jim garlow and byron stinson you may want to take out your bible and go through the very scriptures in the very points that are made because it really is enlightening to the context of where we are in the world today in preparation for the coming of the Lord.
1: I want to tell you about Israel. The sermon I preached, I've never preached before until the first service this morning. So this is very fresh information. I've talked about pieces of it, but I've never put it together in this particular way. Let me pose a question. When God gets ready to show up on planet Earth in the person of Jesus, what did he do? He gave a lot of indicators, they're called prophecy, so that when Jesus came, when God came to earth in the form of a man, people would know who he was. How'd that work out? A lot didn't seem to recognize him. And so, when he gets ready to come a second time, what does he do? He has a lot of indicators, flashing lights, prophecy, and other things suddenly being revealed to give an indication, hey, get ready, I'm coming Again, I'm gonna fly through 11 things very rapidly that have happened in recent years in Israel, all of which I think are indicators of what is coming. This is Israel revealing her secrets to get you ready for the soon coming king. I'm gonna take you up north to Samaria. Don't ever use the word West Bank. Call it Samaria and Judea. That's the proper terms. I want you to meet a man named Tommy Waller. He was working with FedEx in Tennessee. He felt called to move his family, give up his job, and move to the rural areas and have Amish farmers teach he and his 11 children how to farm. They learned how to farm, and then God called them to Israel, to Samaria, to go work for the Jewish farmers free, help prune the fields, the vineyards, help plant the vines, and harvest them as well. Little did he realize at the time, I presume, that he was fulfilling Jeremiah's prophecy from 2,700 years ago, which says I'll plant vineyards on the hills of Samaria. Now, let's stop for a moment. The hills of Samaria are depleted soil-wise. I come originally, I live in San Diego, but I originally from the farms of Kansas. I understand about farming. Topsoil, about 15 feet of topsoil has been eroded by wind and water. Because of the mismanage for the last thousand years of the Arabs. And so here's the Jewish people who finally had their land in 1948, which in itself is a miracle. That's why this book is called Jerusalem, the Miracle. It truly is a miracle. that came back into existence after almost 2,000 years. But you get the land back and it's horrifically depleted. It can't produce anything. But all these prophecies, prophecies are that it's going to blossom like a rose. It's a desert. But you go there today and you see what's happened. Through Irrigation, drip irrigation, it's blossoming. The desert is blossoming like a rose. But the hills of Samaria, they're gonna have vineyards on them. The farmers are gonna have vineyards. And the notes, the, the no tree, that's the Hebrew word for the watchman, is the word. They're gonna cry out from the hills, Come, let us go up to Zion. And that's exactly what the Waller family, now with 11 kids and 44 grandchildren, have done, and now 500 people have joined them and fly in. You could be one to fly in and go work there in the harvest fields and helping plant and prune and harvest the vineyards. That's Tommy Waller in the upper right-hand picture. That's one of his many sons in the bottom left-hand corner. And now it's been transferred into a beautiful, beautiful vineyard all over the hills of Samaria. That is a prophecy being fulfilled right before our eyes Because the word notrim, watchman, is the present-day word for Christian. The Christians coming back to help harvest the grapes on the hills of Samaria, prophesied by Jeremiah. There's another one, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 7, that once again the pastures will return. Now remember, the soil is depleted. It's so depleted that when agronomists did analysis of the soil, when they started planting the vineyards, they said, this will never be able to produce decent grapes for decent wine. However, because God said it's going to produce there, and because that's on Mount Gerizim is where they live. Mount of Blessing is Mount Gerizim. Mount of Ebal is Mount of Curses. They're on Mount, e- uh, Mount uh, Gerizim, the Mount of Blessing that's mentioned in your Bible several times. And from that soil, agronomists said couldn't produce anything Produced grapes, which were made into wine, which were entered into a competition in Paris, France, and they won number one in the world because of God's blessing the mountains exactly like He said He would 2,700 years ago. But along comes the statement you're gonna have cattle on there, sheep, oxen. They're gonna be on those hills once again. That means you have to have pasture. There's not much pasture there. Again, the topsoil is gone, it's just rocky. But the Waller family, bringing back in cattle right now, and by, by, by the organic matter, that's a nice way of saying cow manure, it's replenishing the soil. You never thought you'd hear a sermon on cow manure, did you? But it's replenishing the soil and restoring it to the vibrancy it once had. A prophecy, 2,700 years ago, happening right now. There's another one, Jacob spotted sheep. A young woman named Jenna Lewinsky, a friend of ours in Canada, Noticed all the spotted sheep across Canada. Had them DNA tested, discovered. They're part from the Levant. They're from the area of Laban, Jacob's father-in-law. When Jacob took his sheep, the spotted sheep that went with him, they're, from, they're, they're descendants of that. Well, the scripture says in Jeremiah 31 that once again, not only the people will come back to Israel, which is happening. When I was there for my first time in Israel in 1981, population was 2 million. Go there now, it's over 9 million. The people are coming back. The Jews are coming back and occupying it just like it was prophesied. But so would the flocks. And Jacob spotted sheep that were dispersed, the as were the people. And now they're coming back into the land in accordance with Jeremiah 31 and other passages. And so you see Jacob spotted sheep having been returned to the land exactly as the prophet said. Or go to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has along it, strangely enough, some green foliage, some plants, some fish, some birds. Why is that? Because Zechariah 14, 8 says that one of these days, Jesus is going to return, and he's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. It's going to split north and south. An aquifer of water is going to pour into the Mediterranean Sea to the west and to the east, it's going to flow into the Dead Sea. And the Dead Sea is going to be living again from aquifers of water flowing under the mountains of Judea from Jerusalem. And it's already started happening. This is an appetizer course or an hors d'oeuvres of the main course. This is along the Sea of Galilee. I shot these pictures myself along the highway. And all this green foliage is cropping up. And the birds have brought in fish eggs and these fresh streams. Where's that water coming from? From Jerusalem precisely as it was said, it's going to happen, occurring in our time. Or let me take you on a different journey. These are shofars. Robert Winger's in the picture there. He's the only person I'm aware of, or I know of, can play play two shofars at the same time, two triple twist shofars, and his amateur is so exceptional, he gets different pitches out of each one, so they harmonize. He has a ministry called Shofar So Great. It all started when Rosemary took him to Israel and a group of pastors. On a he wasn't a pastor. At that time, he was working with Monster Drink. He was in that business. He's the one that helped create Vav, 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 the symbol of Monster Drink. They did it kind of as a joke. That is 666, by the way. They did that intentionally. Now, First Thessalonians 4.16 tells us that the trump of God is going to sound... Before the king returns, Jesus. The trump of God does not refer to Donald Trump. It refers to the trumpet of the time, which is the shofar. How do you explain that this tiny little piece of real estate, smaller than New Jersey, a thousands of miles away from here, and yet somebody in your congregation on the third row stood and sounded, he put his lips to the horn of, from a ram or a sheep or a goat, and he sounded it in your church service and none of you thought it was strange. How is it you explain that people are flocking to buy shofars from all over the world? Why would they do that? They're not accordions. I mean, that's such a popular instrument, right? They're not trombones or guitars, but shofars. We've taken many, many people to meet with Robert Winger and they flock to buy his, his shofars. Greg Berg, who's here, he's a part of our board on Well-Versed, he suggested, Jim, let's offer shofars through our ministry. I said, Craig, I don't think very many people will buy them. He said, yes, they will. So okay, we'll offer them. We offered all kinds, they, they bought them like crazy. And even all the way, we offered them all the way to the most expensive, $2,500 for shofars, these beautiful ones, remarkable tone tone quality. And people wanted those, why? What's going on? There's something in the human heart that has an anticipation of the coming of the king. And the result is they want to be sounding that shofar. They want people, they want to hear the sound and get their ears prepared to know what it's going to sound like. They want to hear that sound and they long for it in their spirits. That's the shofar. How do you explain it? all over the world people are bringing shofars back from Israel? Let's talk about Gilgal. Gilgal is more than a town. Gilgal refers to a formation of stones about the size of a football field, almost in the shape of a footprint. There are six of them that have just been found. They've been around for 3,400 years. We're just finding them. One of the men involved with helping restore them is a man named Byron Stinson. I want you to remember that name. I'm gonna bring it up a little bit later. But the Gilgals, here's a picture of them. Here's the stones in a formation. What were they, what's big about this? They're surrounded, every one of these six are surrounded by hills where people, two million of them can gather as a natural amphitheater. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was brought. <clears throat> this is where the tabernacle was set up. Once they crossed into Israel, They came in, they set up the operation in, in, in this, the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. In this, they gathered on the hillside to worship the Lord, the longing to worship the Lord. My wife pointed out to me this morning that in the Hebrew text, it doesn't just say, I want you to build an Ark of the Covenant so I may dwell in it. That the actual Hebrew rendering is build an Ark of the Covenant So I, God, may dwell in them. I'm going to be locatable in this box. However, my goal is not to stay in the box, is to be dwelling in each of them. So there's something about the human heart that longs to be indwelt by that who actually created, the image of God, the imago Dei, stamped on our heart. These six rock formations, the size of a foot, wherever your foot shall go, that land shall be yours. There's six of them at least, perhaps seven have been discovered. This gives you some sensing right now of how they're designed and where they were. So as the Ark of the Covenant was moving, moved until it got to finally Shiloh, and there at Shiloh it was for 369 years was the capital of the 12 tribes until it was moved eventually to Jerusalem. But there's more discoveries. Again, Mount Ebal. Remember Mount Gerizim is the Mount of Blessings. Shechem, Mount ebal on the other side this is the place that moses said when you enter the land oh moses wasn't going to enter joshua when you guys go in go between the mountains remember i preached a sermon here a long time ago about the covenant walking between the parts go between the parts mount Gerizim blessing mount ebal mount of curses you go between the parts and he gave instructions have priests stand on each side each mountain And the ones on the Mount of Gerizim yelled down to the people, Beware, beware, obey the Lord. If you obey the Lord, blessings will pour out upon you. But on Ebal, the priests were to shout down, If you disobey God, curses shall come upon you. The Mount of Curses. Now, Joshua's altar has been lost for 3,400 years. But Adam Zertal, a a, a Jewish archaeologist, discovered it. He did not believe the Bible. He did not believe the Tanakh or the Old Testament. When he discovered it, he was so shocked, he started believing the authority of Scripture the Old Testament. Aaron Lipkin, a friend of ours, has sort of the mantle of Aaron Zertal and him as a self-taught archeologist. And some of these are trips over there. Rosemary arranges us for go. You can only go there with Israeli Defense Forces escort. And we go to that actual site. This is my favorite site. In all of Israel. On the left you see. What it looked like at the time of Joshua. And you see the stone formation. The ramp for taking up the sacrifices. On the right is how it looks now. Praise supernatural protection over this. Because. Uh, various forces. The Muslim Arabs that are there. Have come in to try to destroy it. Even as much as two weeks ago. Putting a bunch of tires in it. And burning it. Defacing it. And it had to be cleaned up again. Just as much as this last couple, couple weeks. In addition to that, there's the red heifers. Are they necessary for the Messiah to come? Well, they predate it. Two brothers have impacted me a great deal. Esau or Saki, Mamo, is an Orthodox Jew from Jerusalem. Byron Stinson is a successful Texas businessman. These two have been used profoundly by the Lord to help us understand these next few topics. They worked together and put advertisements around Texas looking for the red heifer. What is a red heifer? Remember, those of you who are not agriculturally raised, a heifer is a female bovine. In other words, a cow is one that's been impregnated, but before it's impregnated, it's called a heifer. And so they looked for a red heifer, one that had never worked and in, 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 in yoked in any way and had no, could have no marking on because according to Numbers chapter 19, in Numbers 19, they were looking for the perfect red heifer. This is a command of the Lord. This is why the Jews do it, to have a perfect red heifer, impeccable, not no white hair, no gray hair, no blemish. Well, how are you going to find a perfect red heifer? There's been attempts for several hundred years. They haven't found any. And so they attempted to find some right now. And, and Byron Stinson put advertisements around the Dallas-Fort Worth area originally and across Texas Help us find the right red heifer that's perfect. Now, once a a heifer is born or a cow is born, you put an ear tag in it. I grew up on a farm. That's what we did. So you can identify it. But they didn't do that for a while because of COVID and the veterinarians couldn't get out. And so there were a bunch of heifers that were born that had no blemish on them by that ear tag. And so the rabbis came over wanting to fulfill Numbers chapter 19 and find that red heifer and to begin the process. Now, it's not a sacrifice. Now, it's true the animal gets sacrificed, but that's, that's, not, that's inconsequential. It, 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 it does give its life, and they take the ashes of the red heifer, and if you go back to the Numbers passage, you look towards the end of the Numbers passage, and there it tells you that it's mixed with a number of other things, very rich in symbolism that we do not have the time to go to. And then it's to be sacrificed on the Mount of Olives, or prepare the ceremony, I should say, on the Mount of Olives, and it's directly across from the mount where the temple mount is, where the temple. This is what they believe the bridge looked like back then. No one has seen it. We have no pictures of it because this has not happened for 2000 years. And the bridges that were used, the reason they had a bridge going across the Kidron Valley because the Kidron Valley is all uh, cemetery and the people involved with this ceremony could not have any communicate, contact with the dead. And since they couldn't have contact with the dead, this was built uh, so it would be pure and no contact with the dead. This is built presumably out of wood. That's why there's nothing remaining of it to this day. But they're preparing again today for this. It's happened nine times in history. And according to Jewish tradition, the 10th time, the next time it happens is to be either done by the Messiah himself or in direct preparation for the Messiah. And so consequently, they begin searching, rabbi searching in Texas with Byron's help, looking for red heifers that were perfect. They finally found some and they wanted to get them back to Israel. Israel says, we will not accept. They want to bring back five of them. So we will not accept livestock from the United States. So Saki Mamo says, fine, this is not livestock. These are my pets. They said, oh, we take pets so you can bring them back. So they boxed them up, put them on American Airlines, flew them in. They are in an undisclosed location in Israel. And here are the group of guys that worked on it. The man with the uh, maroon shirt in the middle is Byron Stinson, who was the driving force, along with his good friend, Saki Mamo, who is second from the left, uh, Saki Mamo. And so the red heifers are there now. And, and, and it looks like all of them so far have qualified. And once they're two years and one month old, or some say two years and three months old, they're qualified by age. And so one of these is about to be involved in the next few weeks. The first time in 2,000 years, the ceremony is going to actually take place, fulfilling Numbers 19. To the Jewish person, they're doing it because they were commanded of the Lord to do so and they love the commands of the Lord and so should we. My good friend Byron Stinson explains to us as believers the red symbolizes the blood of Jesus. This purification process symbolizes Jesus himself, what he did for us. It is an announcement to us if this happens that the Messiah's coming is in fact soon. We have the red heifers but we need the place. Where does it have to happen? It has to happen east of the Temple Mount, east of the original temple, on the same elevation as the temple. Well, how could you get land like that? Two men, Saki Mamo and Byron Stenson, have been involved in that very thing. If an Arab Muslim sells land, which they own Mount Olives, if they sell it uh, to a Jew, they'd be killed. And so through a complicated process that I don't even know what it is, 12 years ago, Saki was able to buy some land there, Tuduman. Tuduman means a quarter of an acre. And so across from the Temple Mount, they actually have, I think my battery might have died. It's not It's not clicking here. Needing some help there, guys. Uh, okay, now it jumped way ahead. Okay, let's see if we can get it back to the right one. Okay, they... They have now have the land directly east of the old Temple Mount. And this is a view looking at the Temple Mount. Now, that gold dome is not the temple, as you know. That's the dome, the, the dome of the rock. That's controlled by, essentially by the Muslims. And to the left of that is Alaska Mosque. Someday, I don't know how God's going to do it. There's going to be a third temple built there. What's he going to do with the things that are there? I don't know. That's God's department, not mine. And so in preparation for that, the equivalent of what you're seeing on the screen now, the 10th heifer will be prepared for the cleansing ceremony. This is a view from the land that has now been purchased. Miraculously, they own the land. This is taken from that land directly across, you see, in line with the temple mount. Why is that location important? Remember in the New Testament, when the centurion witnessed the death of Jesus. He said, truly, this is the son of God. What made him believe that? Was it because it was dark? The sun had suddenly disappeared? No, it'd been dark three hours by then. Was it because Jesus died? No, he'd seen many many people die on a cross. Was the earthquake? I, I doubt that. What do you think it was? Well, we're told in that passage that the temple and the Holy of Holies, the temple curtain, the veil, which is very thick, a monstrous curtain, it's split from top to bottom. If you remember, I've talked about in the Covenant Message, I've talked about the splitting from top to bottom occurred in Genesis chapter fifteen, with the sacrifice and the covenant-making ceremony between God and Abraham. That that curtain split from top to bottom. We're told. Other places, the interpretation of that, that splitting from top to bottom is the picture of Jesus becoming our covenant lamb in that moment. There would have been a bright light that would come into the darkness from the holy of holies when that curtain split. I think that's why the centurion, shocked by what he saw, turned around and looked at that cross and said, truly, this is the son of God. Now that declaration was an admission. He saw something that was so inescapable, it transformed his life. I believe that indicates the place of Jesus' crucifixion was there. Not the place you're, places you're taken, the two other places you're taken, saying, well, maybe he's crucified here. This is the place of the crucifixion. That's why the cleansing ceremony of the red heifer is so critical for us as believers. So now we have a red heifer. Now we have land that's going to be used in the next few weeks. Fashion your seatbelt. Something that has not happened in 2,000 years. You'll be hearing about it a great deal. There's one entity, one organization, that's going to try to get it out electronically to 800 million people at once to watch this phenomenon. This will be much bigger than the Super Bowl, let me assure you. Well, there's more to it. So we have a red heifer. We have the land. But what about the temple, the third temple? There was Solomon's temple. That was destroyed. There was Herod's temple in the time of Jesus. But now we're told that there's going to be another temple, a third temple. Now, we as Christians believe we are the temples of the Holy Spirit. So the building in and of itself is not necessarily what we long for. But we recognize that for the king to come, there'll be a temple built. There'll be an antichrist who desecrates it. We understand that. So we're not longing for an antichrist by any means. We long for Jesus to come. But the the revelation does give us a glimpse into that. So what about a third temple? If I take you to the Temple Institute, my wife takes people there all the time, you're going to find they have now put together carefully, scientifically, Every ingredient they need to build the third temple. Everything. They've even analyzed the type of threads, that the construction of the very nature of the threads on the garments for the priest. Microscopically examined. Everything's ready. And they even say they know where the Ark of the Covenant is. I don't know on that. No commentary on that one. But they're prepared to build it. But it takes a lot of resources to build something like that. Where are we going to get those resources? Our friend Saki Mamo got a call, a shocking call. Just recently said, come to Papua New Guinea. Why would I go to Papua New Guinea? He says, I don't even know where it is. He actually did not know where it was on the map near Australia. A tiny little island occupied by 800 tribes with 800 different languages. They said, come. So he got on a plane and he went. He met with the tribes. He met with them and they even made him honorary in their tribe. He met with the prime minister. Why was this important? And he presented him a book about the temple. You can see the book here more. And Papua New Guinea was also important because it was the fifth country now that has moved their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Why is that important? Donald Trump was the first. Why is that important? By moving from Tel Aviv which is an outlier city, it's an important city, but it's not the, it's not the capital. To Jerusalem, it's an acknowledgement that Jerusalem is not, this is a very important language, not an, quote, international city. By international city is a nice way of saying it doesn't belong to the Jewish people. It belongs to others, it's divided. And by saying, no, Jerusalem is the capital, they get to declare their capital. It's the only nation on earth that can't pick its own capital. The rest of the world says, no, you're not allowed to have Jerusalem as the capital. It belongs to other people too. They said, no, Jerusalem is our city. And Donald Trump says, I'm gonna move the embassy. And his, almost all of his team, except for three, said, if you move that, it's gonna start World War III. Donald Trump said, no, it won't, I'm gonna move it. He moved it, it was fine. And he moved it there as a way of declaring, this is the capital of Israel, the indivisible, not dividable, and eternal capital of Israel, in accordance with the scripture. One other country followed, another country followed. There's almost 200 countries, 193 countries, members of the United Nations. They all should have followed. They didn't. Finally, the fifth one has now, and that's Papua New Guinea. And so Saki flew over there, and they made him an honorary ambassador or some title. He wasn't sure why he was there. And then he met with the minister of interior, uh, of the interior security. It's a nice way of saying kind of the head police of the nation. They met and became friends, and now he learned why he went around the world, a 25-hour flight without a stop to Papua New Guinea, all the way from Israel. They said, we have something we want to tell you. The prime minister says, it's my 50th birthday. I don't want a birthday present. I want to give presents. And you're gonna be taken into the interior and they will explain why. He said, we're gonna go to 1 Kings. 1 Kings 1, the queen of Sheba heard about Solomon. Verse 2, she brought very much gold to him. Verse 10, she brought 120 talents of gold to build the first temple. Verse 11, the gold came from Ophir. Where's that? 14, the amount of gold that Solomon got yearly was 666 talents of gold. That is $1 billion in gold verse 22 the merchant ships once every three years were may, able to make a cycle bringing in the gold. <clears throat> Where is Ophir? What does this have to do with Saki going to Papua New Guinea? The people in the tribes said, for 3,000 years we've had a tradition, an oral tradition. Uh, remember in the oral tradition cultures that's passed from father to son, from father to son, etc. As oftentimes as accurate or even more accurate than if it had been written form. And they said, for 3,000 years, we've known we were the people who provided the gold to Solomon's temple 3,000 years ago. You're going to need gold. It came from Ophir. People said, well, wait a minute, the gold came from Ethiopia. No, that would take three weeks for the ship to go and come. Wherever it came from, it took three years to make the cycle. Where did it come from? Ophir, the tribe said, you know what we are called? We are called Ophia, one letter difference. And on top of that, so much so that in the Middle Ages, they felt the need to rename the islands all around them, the Solomon Islands. They said the gold came from us. We have more gold in our country than any place else in the world. We're gonna start mining it. One third of the gold is gonna go to the mining company for doing it. One-third of the gold is coming to us as a tribe. One-third of the gold we want to give to Israel for the next temple to be built. And so we have the third temple, the red heifer, have the land, and have the gold, and all the other things the Temple Institute has done to prepare for the third temple. When will it go up? I do not know. What's the sequence of all this? I've asked my friend Saki. Saki. Is it the case, the red heifer first, the red heifer ceremony, and then the building of the third temple, and then the coming of the Messiah. To us, it's the second coming of the Messiah. He says, I don't know the order for sure. I think that's probably the order. He says, you evangelicals, you have all your order. thing. We, we don't know. We just know we're just obeying it. God said, do the red heifer ceremony, so we're going to do it. And we now, for the first time in 2,000 years, have a red heifer that's qualifying and so in the next few weeks, you're going to hear about the ceremony taking place. He bought the land 12 years ago. They have a place to do it. They now have the gold being going to be start mined and given to them from the tribe of Ophia. Seems awfully close to First Kings 10, Ophir. And now I shift you to one more thing. Why is God revealing all these things? Why is Israel showing up all these secrets? I want to talk to you about artifacts, a 1,000 approximate artifacts from actually the birthplace of the Messiah of Jesus. And once again, on the first seven things I covered, I'm indebted indebted to my wife. My wife knows way more about Israel than I ever will. She's been to Israel 75 times. These last four things, I'm indebted to uh, Esau, Mamo, and Byron Stinson. I want to take you on an amazing journey here. Genesis chapter 35, verse 21. Then Israel, and remember his name is Jacob. Then Jacob, Israel, journeyed and pitched his tent beyond the tower of Ader. Migdal Ader, tower of the flock, Ader is flock. I want you to remember the words Migdal Ader. They're extremely important in understanding the birthplace of Jesus, the real birthplace. Of Jesus. So Jacob, when his wife Rachel died, he was heartbroken. He traveled and he pitched his tent at Migdal Ader. When do we ever find the Tower of the Flock or Tower of Ader mentioned before? Micah 4 8. And you, O Tower of the Flock, the Hebrew words there, Migdal Ader. The Tower of the Flock is another place that's mentioned by the prophet. The stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. What shall come? Even the former kingdom shall come. Former king, what? What was the zenith of Israel's history at the time of David? Let me ask you, how much land did God promise to Israel? The answer, about 300,000 square miles from Euphrates to the Nile. What was the most that Israel ever had? It was under David and somewhat under Solomon. How much was it? About 200,000 square miles. They never had all of the 300,000 square miles that was promised to them from the Euphrates all the way down to the Nile. How much does Israel have now, by the way? Not 300,000, not 200,000, 8,000 square miles. And they're surrounded by a lot of people who wanna take every bit of that away from them and drive them into the sea. But the former dominion, the dominion of David, that is the high water mark. When you go to Israel, they all talk about David. Uh, the, the, the time of David, the worship of David, the season of David, uh, the kingdom of David. Even you go to McDonald's, it's McDavid burgers. I mean, it's everything is David there. And so this is an announcement that the king of all kings is going to be born at this location, the tower of the flock, the Migdal Ader. Now at this point, I've got a real pleasant surprise for you. I've been talking about Byron Stinson all this time. He's here. Byron, join me on the platform right now. Welcome, Byron Stinson.
2: Thank you. Love you, right.
1: This man is a brother. He's a successful businessman. Won't talk about his businesses, but he is a man, with all, with, along with Saki Mamo, they created Bone Israel. Bone Israel means build up Israel. They've taken millions of dollars into Israel the government over there trusts him and believes in him totally because he's come in even below the Garden of Gethsemane, all that area. He helped raise the funds and clean that all up. And so he's highly trusted there. And in God's time, he's from Granbury, Texas, but in God's timing, he under from 2007 on, he was put under the tutelage of some of the best rabbis that could teach him so much. I've learned so much from him. I'm going to turn to you, and Byron. Talk to us about the Migdal Eder, the Tower of the Flock, the actual birthplace of
2: Jesus, recently affirmed. So let's go to Micah 5.2. If you'll read Micah 5.2, read it really carefully. It says, but you Bethlehem Ephrathah. Now, Queen Helena, 300 A.D., she went to uh, Bethlehem, to the area of, Beth- of the fields of Bethlehem, And she didn't really understand that word Ephratah because if she had it, she would have known that means fruitful in Hebrew. So to you, Bethlehem, the fruitful place, which is where the wheat and barley grow, through you, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from old and from everlasting. And we know who that is. That's Yeshua, the son of Mary and Joseph. Okay, so she went on top of a hilltop And uh, it's where she felt like was the right place. And she put a beautiful church there. It's a great place to worship. But it's not the place that the Bible tells us is the place of the birth. So if we go to the next slide, Jim, what we're looking at here, these are the fields of Bethlehem. And if you go back in your Bible and you read the story of Boaz and Ruth, now you're in the fields of Bethlehem. Now you see Ruth down there coming together And she's Gentile and he's Jew and they're coming together in the fields of Bethlehem. And this is what God is doing today. He's bringing us all together for all of the people in the churches worldwide and our fathers of faith in Israel coming together. And we have to say the same thing Ruth said. That your God is my God, your people are my people, your nation's my nation, and I won't leave you. I'm gonna be with you. And right now, we're at a time when they're taking their position in the world, and it's our opportunity as the churches worldwide to join, just like Ruth did with Boaz. So let me t- tell you where these fields are so you can understand. If you look at the next slide, this is a, uh, called the Madaba map. It's, in a, it's on the floor of a church in Madaba, Jordan. And this map is uh, from 520 AD. It was like uh, a few hundred years after Queen Helena had built the Church of the Nativity in what she thought was Bethlehem. If you look at this map, it's actually it's orient, the orientation is different than most maps. It's not north. It's not up to the for north. It's to the left side is north. You can see the Jordan River coming out of the Dead Sea over here, and so this shows you the north uh, orientation. Now, if we move down and look a little below that, you see something that looks kind of like a football. That's the city of Jerusalem. Now, the city of Bethlehem. Uh, that Queen Elena thought was the city of Bethlehem is to the south. And as we uh, look to the south, you'll see something there that says Ephrata. And then to the right of that, there's something. Look on the next slide, Jim. Do you see that it says number two there? And in those words, it's, it kind of looks like B-H. Anyway, it's Bethlehem in, in, in the Greek right there. And then to the left of it, which is going back north, You see, this is a woman giving birth to a child right here. I think we all know who the woman giving birth was when they were putting this on a church floor in 520 AD. This is Ephrata. This is the place because they knew where Bethlehem Ephrata was. And it was to the north of the uh, Queen Helena's Church of Nativity. So that brings us to the fields of Bethlehem. Now this next picture is a picture of those fields. This is actually on a little bit higher level. This is the area where the threshing floor was and where there's enough breeze. that the, the, the weed actually grows all the way at the bottom. That far hill, if you were to see the top of it, you would see where Queen Elena was up on top of that hill putting a church up there, the Church of Nativity. But this is the actual place where the Tower of the Flock stood. Matter of fact, we've got a a next slide shows where the little circle is. That's basically where the base of the flock, uh, excuse me, the base of the tower was there. It was a huge tower. And then you can see the remains that were inside of it. That's actually the barn area. That was the area where the animals were kept. Because you got to remember, Migdal Eder is the tower of the flock. It's not the tower of people living in it. It's the tower of a place to raise the flock. The flock that was set aside for sacrifice in the temple. That's what this was built for by Solomon to have the place for the for the animals to be raised. So when Solomon got ready to build his temple, we'll go to the next slide here, uh, he's preparing for that and he needs everything to be brought to it. He needs oil, he needs the animals, he needs the wheat, the barley, the bread, he needs everything coming out of the fields of Bethlehem. And he can't do it on the Temple Mountain. So he goes out to where his where Boaz and Ruth came together, and then you have Obed, and then you have Jesse, and then you have King David, who grew up in these fields. David grew up right here where you're looking. This is the where he grew up as a child, and then you see Solomon comes here to this place and establishes the place that everything's going to be taken into the uh, into the temple. Now, we're, everything that we find here, most everything is made of limestone. And the reason it's made of limestone, the limestone is like life, the very bedrock itself. It's, while everything we see has death on it, the stone itself, the earth itself still has life. And this is why the priesthood would always use limestone with whatever they were doing. So to this day, we still find artifacts, amazing things there in this location. So in 2018, uh, my son and my friend Moshe Bronstein and I were in the fields and we were looking in this area and Moshe had told me for 10 years, he'd been saying, Byron, there's got to be a well here. I've looked for it since the 1980s. There's got to be a well because the priest would need living water to wash their feet before they would go into the, on, into the uh, area to take care of the flocks, the, the lambs of God. And so we're walking through the fields and lo and behold, We look up and there's a stone there that we flipped over. And when we flipped it over, it settled in the mouth of the well and it's cut out like a foot. And This is where the priest from 1000 BC all the way until the time of Christ. This is where the priest from the line of Judah would wash their feet and then they would anoint their feet with oil That little uh, receiver on the left, that little hole on the left, top left, that's where the anointing oil would have been placed for anointing their feet before they would go in and do their work here in this place. You see, everything had to be in stone. The priesthood would not do anything in pottery. The common people do everything in pottery. It would be much easier. Quick, quick story. When Jesus does his first miracle, remember that the pots that were brought to him were made of stone. Now, common people wouldn't have pots of stone because it's too heavy. That tells you that Jesus was at a priestly wedding. That's why we know when we see those stone pots come to him, we're looking at a a priestly family. So here, this particular stone is one that was made into a cup that could be used for ceremonies and for things that were being done at this place. This shows us that the priesthood was there in the place working. So through a foundation that my wife and I started in 2007 called the Father's House Foundation, we started taking teachers and and pastors to Israel to teach of the archaeological finds in the land to explain the the things of the Bible is absolutely accurate. God is so accurate. It's incredible how accurate he is. Everything has to be perfect or it's not God. I'm telling you, it's amazing when you get to the land. So we would take groups to the land and we would stand here at this particular uh, uh, place. This is probably one of our groups here that uh, we were teaching on site. And where they're standing is actually a place that was laid out just like the tabernacle tent. It's laid out from the east to the west. On the far east, you see it says uh, where where the foot wash stone was found. That's what was found in 2018. The next part is like the outer court. The next one is like the holy place. And then you see the holy of holies. In the holy of holy place, this is the facsimile of what it would be if it was a tabernacle tent or the temple. Solomon laid it out just like that. And in the holy of holies, there was a special manger that was made in the bedrock. It was, it was chiseled out of the bedrock to hold the lambs of God that were found at Passover at each Passover, the, sh- the shepherds, the, the Levitical priestly shepherds would be watching their flocks by night looking for these perfect lambs that were gonna be born and they would take the perfect lamb, wrap it in swaddling cloths and bring it to this particular manger to watch in this barn facility at the tower of the flock. They would watch it for one year before it would go, and the one that had been there for a year would then go on to the temple and be the sacrifice for sin for one year. This was the pattern that God was using to help us in the future understand how the blood of Yeshua was our covering for our sin, okay? So what happens here is when you fast forward from the time of Solomon, 1000 BC, and you go up to the time of Christ, when we get to Christ... Herod has said, Judah, you will not be furnishing anything to my temple that I built. I built it a lot better, and he moved everything to the south. Herod was the most antichrist of all of the kings of Israel. He wasn't from the line of Judah, and he said, Judah, you can't be doing that here anymore. So when Mary comes with Joseph, the, the, the manger is empty, the rock manger that was there for a thousand years taking care of the sacrificial lambs of God. And the, but the shepherds from the house of Judah were watching the flocks by night and the angels showed up in the air. And they were singing glory to God in the highest for unto you is born this one that's gonna be the salvation and the redemption of all those that believe and trust in him. And they went up to look in the manger and they found in swaddling claws which are not baby blankets. These are made for protecting the lamb. And swaddling cloths laid our Savior in this very manger. In 2007, I was approached by Jewish, my Jewish friends, and they said, Byron, we've had some artifacts that need to be protected. Would you watch them? I said, I'll help. anyway. You know, I'll do I'll, anything. I'm in. And they brought me the artifacts, and one of the artifacts is this particular manger that was cut from the holy place, in the in the uh, shepherd's fields, this is the very manger that the lambs of God were laid in for a thousand years, and is now in our possession and something that we're going to start showing the world. And I'm glad y'all are getting to be, I think, the second group that's ever got to see this. So, and the rest of the artifacts, we can go through them quickly. There's we have, like Jim said, about a thousand different artifacts. Uh, in general. There's all kinds of swords of King David. There's all types of things that prove uh, that the sight is what it is. And God is about to start revealing this to the world so that we understand his word is true. His word is good. His word is is both physical and it is spiritual. The church by and large worldwide primarily operates in the spiritual. But our fathers of faith, the Jews, operate in the physical. And now we come together as one tree. Okay, the natural tree and the grafted in tree. So let's join together, let's love our fathers of faith, let's pray for them, and let's do all we can (coughs) as they take back that land and prove the glory of God by bringing his people back and taking this holy land for his name, amen?
1: I just want you to realize what you just heard. That a thousand artifacts approximately from the actual birthplace of Jesus, which we think left there maybe 1938 or 1939, not known for sure, possibly went on a circuitous, circuitous route, ended up in our country, and the man in charge of them said to him, would you protect them? And where did you put them?
2: Well, they were in my barn, (laughs) except for some of the swords and some of those things. I had 70 swords of King David. Each one's worth about $50,000, they say. I had 70 of those sitting in my closet, you know. (laughs) But I was protected. I had my 9mm ready. (laughs) Hidden
1: behind bales of hay in a barn and preserved there. Then he moved to another barn, and then finally had been moved one more time. At some point, we'll be able to talk about the location, I guess, Yeah. but perhaps not yet today. I, I-, I want you to get a grasp of this. The angels appear to the shepherds. You think of shepherds as a bunch of cowpokes from Texas, a bunch of scruffy guys. That's not what the shepherds were like. The shepherds were a very sophisticated, erudite, highly trained, profoundly educated group of rabbis assigned to the task of finding the perfect lambs and wrapping them in swaddling cloths and preserving them and taking them four miles north for the sacrifice in the temple. So when these shepherds Heard the angel say, You'll find him wrapped in swaddling cloths. They didn't have to say, Where would that be? They knew where that was. Because the angel gave no other directives. You're going to find him in swaddling cloths. What kind of a direction is that? Bethlehem and the surrounding hills, that's a big area. How are you going to find one baby? No, you're going to find him in swaddling cloths. Oh, swaddling cloths. We know where to go. Migdalater, the tower of the flock and he's gonna be there. And the, the Luke passage, when we say manger, you think a bunch of boards put together, haphazard. I grew up on a farm. We, we, we fed cattle in a manger, a bunch of wooden put together. Don't picture that, picture stone like you just saw. A specially hewn stone for its purity. It was designed as a, the word in the Luke is, is birthing stall. So you're gonna find him in swaddling cloths and he's in a birthing stall. They knew where that was, the Tower of the Flock. That's where you had the perfect lambs. You were protecting the swaddling cloth. What's the swaddling cloth? The swaddling cloth were the garments from the priest who served in the temple their two-week period. It's listed in the Old Testament. When they when they when I was broken up, the segments, they had two weeks they served. And their garments were taken and torn into stripes. Those were the swaddling cloths that were used for the lamb. But Mary's there delivering a baby named Jesus. And she has swaddling cloths. Where does that come from? Who had she just met with over 9 Cairns? She'd met with her cousin Elizabeth. Who was Elizabeth's husband? Zechariah. Where had Zechariah just been? He had just completed his two week time of service. What did he have left over? A garment. What do you do with the garment? You tear them in shreds. And then you wrap the perfect lamb with those swaddling cloths. Is it possible? Mary got the swaddling cloths from cousin Elizabeth, whose husband had just finished his time in the temple. And then she has wrapped this perfect lamb named Yeshua in swaddling cloths And he was born in the birthing stall designed for perfect lambs for him to be taken four miles north and hung on a tree to die for you. That's the message you've just heard. But the other part of the message is he didn't come just once. He's coming a second time. If God were going to send himself in human form a second time, I'll bet he'd do a bunch of prophecies that, oh, my goodness, they're being fulfilled. I'll bet he'd do a lot of self-revelation through the land. And so we discover a bunch of things all happening in, in sequence because he's coming. When's he coming? I don't know, but I would want to be ready now.
2: My friends, I want to tell you something. I know there's a lot of people are worried because evil is rising in the world. And we know that in, in this story, there's an antichrist comes to God's temple and says, you're going to stop and you're going to take the mark of the beast. And we're going to have some even worse things probably than we see right now. But here's the promise. Listen to it. God promises as, the, as evil rises, his outpouring of the spirit is going to rise too. Okay. And and the Word tells us that it's going to be the greatest day that the church has ever seen, and and we will see more salvations and more things happen in the middle of this time of tribulation than we've ever seen. But you need to be full of the Holy Spirit, and the place to do that is right here, right now. This is your opportunity. If you don't know the Lord, come and accept Him and believe in Him and be filled with the Holy Spirit here in this place today, right now. Amen. Amen? Let me give you why you can have
1: added consequence in evil times. I shared with you where Joshua's altar is. It's not on the Mount of Blessing. It's on the Mount of Curses, Ebal. Why would God put Joshua's altar on the Mount of Curses? I've asked that question to many people. Got a variety of answers. I think the answer is a pretty simple one. That God wanted to go to the place he's needed in the midst of evil In the midst of darkness, here's God establishing himself. This is my land. Everything's my land. There is no place, not a square inch that I don't claim, says Jesus. And so this king who came originally as a lamb is coming now as king. And it could be soon. Stand if you would right now. For somebody here, this is your time to get prepared for the second coming. I can't predict when it is, but it could be today. It could be a long time from now. I don't know. But I don't want one person within the sound of my voice to miss being ready for what's about to happen and unfold in history.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.